Welcome to Ahead in the Cloud, where business leaders share what they've learned on their cloud journey. I'm Chad Watt, Emphasis Knowledge Institute researcher and writer, here today with John Way, Chief Technology Officer at Comerica Bank, a top 25 U.S. bank. John joined Comerica in 2021 to smash data centers and bring the bank into the public cloud. John, how many data centers have you closed now? Well, so far we closed two. And how many more do you have to go? One more to go. One more to go. And how does amateur hockey play a role in closing your data centers? Well, there's a funny story of that. And as you can imagine, closing a data center is not a trivial task, especially when you have had the data center for, you know, almost 30 years and plus, right? And in the middle of the migration activities, we have chosen to move much of the workload into the public cloud. And there were difficult days. And there were days that we walked through the data center, we dreamed, wouldn't it be wonderful that one day this data center would be completely empty and we would be playing ice hockey. And fast forward toward the end of the year and the data center did entirely become empty and we're able to organize a tour for the entire business to play ice hockey in the data center. And more importantly, we actually organized the smash party. The smash party is a spirit of bringing the business technology team together. And we actually saved some of the servers, took the battery out, storage out. So it's no data, no fire issue. We got to smash some of the equipment, still responsibly dispose them, of course. But really the spirit of that, playing the hockey, have a smash party is really the idea that we can achieve things above and beyond the daily routine. We can take bold actions. And in our experience, shutting down a data center requires bold actions and ambition. So this whole shutting down a data center, how many times did you hear someone say, no, we can't do that. We still need to have ABC. Did you hear that a lot? I would say almost every week. And my staff probably will say every day. Uh, because especially part of that is just habits. The, the truth of the matter is being a bank, by the time you get into the details, there are regulatory controls, there are security controls, access controls. There's also series of procedures we need to follow. More than 200 controls we have to follow. So it is a significant work effort. But as we have demonstrated over the past 18 months, once you set a goal and you're able to mobilize business and technology together and really understanding the why, it is a mission possible. And I think the hardest part is getting the organization mobilized and a march toward a shared mission. Why is Comerica smashing data centers and moving to public cloud in 2022? I think there are two answers to this question. So there's a business answer to this, right? One is our CEO actually put in 2019 annual report, we're deploying cloud technology to become faster, agile, more resilient, and with greater effectiveness and efficiency. But then there is more a digital technologist view to this. If you look at the banking industry, we are living three digital waves all at the same time. So let me elaborate. The digital 1.0 really is about access. It's your you know, mobile banking, web banking. Conceivably, if you don't have a large, fast growing customer base, you probably could put that in your traditional legacy data center. 
But the next wave, which we're living in the middle of it now, is this notion of unlocking the enterprise capabilities we have developed for many commercial customers, turning their black box into a gray box, then turning that into an open box, moving toward a embedded banking. All of a sudden, you're really dealing with a large ecosystem of partners that is extremely difficult to do with a traditional non-composable architecture because you have to bring a lot of experiences, services, compose in a workflow setting to deliver that simple and convenient experience. And the same with the digital 3.0, which is essentially AI machine learning enabled to create that intelligence and predictive guidance to the customers and to automate intelligently. All these capabilities requires huge amount of data enablement. The speed of data access is simply not possible economically with a traditional architecture. You talk about embedded banking. Is this something you guys have in practice now? Can you give me an example of embedded banking in action at Comerica? Yeah, so there are some details I cannot really disclose, but I can give you some sense what we do, right? So we have some commercial automotive clients, and if you think about the way how they pay the dealers and the dealers pay the suppliers, it's a huge volume of payments that happens across the board, right? The embedded banking, if you think about how commercial banks it works, is they go through a specialized process dealing with checks. So bank being a place you go to to do it. We really want our banking to be deeply embedded into the customer workflow, right? What causes a payment to take place between the dealer? Well, dealer sold a vehicle, is ready to pay back to the bank and re ready to pay back to the OEMs or the OEM is financing the uh, dealer's buildings, some special marketing programs. And all these activities actually happens inside of the OEM, inside of the dealer space. So all these workflows happens today, making those capability available through the API so that they can call upon those services and have it executed so they can actually focus on the real business, which is the interaction with the dealers is what really provides value. And frankly, this also makes the banking much more stickier, right? Because instead of, you know, kind of the single threaded interface into the bank, now we are deeply embedded way how the business is executed. Right. And that first horizon kind of context, those are all discrete transactions that take time and you wait and you check and you clear and you balance. But it sounds like this is much more leads to that third horizon about AI automation and, I mean, frankly, speed. Talk a little bit more about that for me. When it comes to risk and think about what bank does, bank really does three things across all the line of business. One is how you deposit money into the bank. Second is payment. And third is giving other loans on the deposit side. Knowing customers you want to reach out to because you don't really want to, to send out a lot of spammers and they're not effective. Knowing the family relationships, knowing a child is going to college and beginning that financial services journey and having targeted you know, messaging and multi-channel outreach. And, and that really creates a much heightened willingness to go to maybe online bank to three, four clicks and have account being opened. And our ability to really predict 
who are the likely customers, but also instead of having people fill out this crazy long forms, for us to really understand all the data, you know, if this child is, is living with the parents, well, there's a fair amount of information we can already collect and pre-populate, right? So that's on the account side. On the payment side, there is a significant fraud that are insured by the banks, right? And if you think about a fraud case, and we always think about fraud being somebody, you know, very sophisticated and doing a lot of, you know, unexpected things. But sometimes somebody comes in, it's obviously asking the wrong question, but their whole goal is this phone call to figure out who the customer's or the payer's name is. Next call is to figure out the address. Next call is figure out maybe the account number and so on and so forth, right? And I think about the, in the human sense, why would agents not catch it? Because in retrospect, we listen to many of those phone calls. It's obviously these are fraud. Well, it turned out we have this bias to demonstrate empathy to our customers. It's really hard when you listen to somebody that is not speaking logically, perfectly logically, and the agent is wondering like, is this person just because of medical conditions is struggling and demonstrate a high degree of empathy? or there is a real intentional fraud going on. It turned out through AI and machine learning, we can actually bring quite a bit about behavioral science into the conversation and being objective in alerting the agents of the higher probability of fraud. And so that we still can honor our tradition of valuing our customers, but still reduce the fraud significantly. So it's an instance where you're using the AI to basically help the agent do a better job of being an agent. Exactly, exactly, right? And I think the third element is giving out the loans. So think about giving out the loans, what happens, right? It's underwriting risk. And usually there's just tremendous amount of information of uh, historical behaviors and a lot of contributing factors, lots of documents, frankly. And it's not uncommon a business comes to us and say, I need a $5 million loan to import XYZ from overseas. Going through the bill of lending the materials and knowing that the money indeed was spent for that purposes, historically, it's a huge manual effort. Today, AI machine learning, we can literally take a PDF, drop through AI machine learning, and turning on the other end through natural language processing, a fairly good understanding of what goes on that ship and what the risk we're taking on. So there are many, many creative use of AI machine learning to make it much more intelligence and going actually beyond just prediction. I want to come back to a point you made earlier. Your investors were told in 2019 that cloud was going to help Comerica get better at being Comerica. Now let's do some calibration there. How much at that time did Comerica really rely on the cloud? So we made inroads of cloud at that point. But the majority of our workloads were still in our traditional data centers. So cloud is something we have a story for, but it's not where our primary workload is being hosted on. So is there a goal to make that the case down the road, or is that your end goal, part of the answer to the why? I'm actually pleased to say that we're not no longer describing the intentions. Today, majority of our business workload already sits in the public cloud. So I think it's useful to define what public cloud means, right? Uh, number one, it certainly means not a private cloud, because I think if you go back to the definition Gardner laid out what cloud is, it's really about leveraging the internet, 
shared infrastructure, security, easy access, but more importantly, an economic model where you can pay by the drink, if you will, right? Private cloud simply does not really deliver that. So the way I would describe it, private cloud, this may be a little bit controversial. Private cloud is almost like I bought a better power generator at home. Now I'm claiming that I'm on the public grid. It's maybe the generator is a little bit quieter, so I don't hear it. But the fundamental economics is not the same as being hooked up to a public cloud. Kind of that first wave, first generation cloud kind of situation. Exactly. So one advantage being a late mover is we could, frankly, leapfrog our competitors by avoiding some of those private cloud type of technology codesac. We are able to look at their experiences and frankly avoid some of the mistakes. So I'll give you concrete examples. Mistakes of only doing cloud migration lift and shift and as opposed to taking a modernization approach. Mistakes of focusing purely on the infrastructure and not looking at the modernization from the lens of the business, meaning number one, I can describe how we're actually doing the cloud modernization today. The question really starts with, why do we need this application? And that's a serious question. It's not a tech bus to move to a second. It's a serious, real conversation. The second question is, do we have a replacement through a software as a service? So I give you an example how serious it is. Our general ledger for the bank, our ERP system, we have migrated that to the Workday general ledger. And there's a lot of people that use Workday for functions. We actually successfully migrated that into Workday for general banking general ledger. And frankly, you know, if you look at the entire cutover process, there's literally a thousand tasks that we go through. It's been amazingly smooth. That's really telling because just the, back to your point about the nature of banks, the experience has to be 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100 and available whenever that one customer comes in because one bad experience can cost you that customer. And so between being typically just kind of conservative as it comes to change, banks also, you don't take a system out if it's working. Talk to me a little bit about that. And from a culture's perspective, why not just lift and shift? I mean, if this is a great system, I can just lift and shift and we won't miss a beat and it'll be running on Monday morning. Why should I have to rethink this, sir? Convince me otherwise. That's really a great question. Here's the curve, kind of a mental model that I have in my mind. Think about a diagram. And horizontally is technology, and vertically is the value, right? In these days, if you have zero technology, it's hard to generate any value. If you have too much technology, therefore you have too much complexity, the value will drop eventually to zero because all your time is spent on just managing that complexity. So the, the relationship between the value and technology has to be a bell curve. And here's the trick of the bell curve, because it's impossible to find where the pinnacle is, right? Where the kind of peak is. What you really have to do is play on both sides. So really, as we innovate to bring the digital capabilities into the banking environment, it's easy to add complexity to the environment, which means in order to pay for that added complexity, you have to be much more intentional in, in the complexity out of the environment. The challenge of the traditional lift shift approach is it kind of shifts the problem 
but does not really fundamentally increase the resiliency and it keeps the same complexity of the operating environment. And for many banks, if you are kind of taking the lift and shift, you have cloud, you have on-premise, you're not shutting down the data centers. The overall footprint is actually becoming more complex. Now on top of that, you're adding the digital capabilities and no wonder, you know, there is a constant struggle with the budget and a constant struggle of spending the ever, you know, slightly increased budget on a much, much larger IT footprint and still be able to take care of the platform. Okay, John, let me uh, take you through a lightning round. A few questions about your own behavior here. In your wallet right now, do you have more plastic or more paper? Oh, definitely more plastic. I, I hardly have any dollars left, physical dollars left. Do you uh, reconcile your bank statement each month? Uh, I don't. I do trust the bank. But I have to say, in my younger ages, I used to do budgeting. I have developed that intuition. So today I'm more informed by intuition than looking at a physical uh, statement. And your personal data, John Way. Is your personal data on-premises in a private cloud or in a public cloud? It is in a public cloud, and I wouldn't disclose which one. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Got it. I really appreciate that. What's the banking app you use the most? Well, of course, Comerica's mobile banking. And we actually launched a couple of mobile banks. I have to say I'm very pleased to say it's 4.5, so one of the highest. I'm those people that actually use both the web banking on the mobile device and the mobile bank, roughly equal 50-50%. You know, as a CTO, you could probably find some other beta testers to do that for you, I think. <laughs> that is true. John, thank you very much for your time today, and thank you for your insights. Well, Chad, this has been very enjoyable. Truly, it's been a privilege, and I enjoyed listening to your questions and really made me think, so thank you. This podcast is part of our collaboration with MIT Tech Review in partnership with Emphasis Cobalt. Visit our content hub on technologyreview.com to learn more about how businesses across the globe are moving from cloud chaos to cloud clarity. Be sure to follow Ahead in the Cloud wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more details in our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI in our podcast section. Thanks to our producers, Catherine Burdett, Christine Calhoun, and Yulia Dabari. Doe Bigley is our audio technician, and I'm Chad Watt with Emphasis Knowledge Institute. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.